us about that podcast. Yeah, tell them what you told me. What's it like? Welcome to the Lone Star Collective. This is episode nine. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, co-host Austin Zamhariri. Our guest today is Ashley Manning with the NACB, National Association of Cannabis Businesses. How's everybody doing today? Fantastic. Oh, such a nice day outside, too. It's It's been nice here in Texas. It very much has. I don't think we've had a very much above 90 like the last two weeks. Ashley, where are you at? San Diego. So it's uh, 75 and sunny, uh, give or take 10 degrees year round. So it's, so top five days in Texas, you'd pick Austin Metro, Dallas Metro, Houston Metro. The best five days of our calendar year, just outside in general, is probably what it's like in San Diego almost every day, I imagine. Oh, nice. Then another place in the country I'd love to live. <laughs> yeah, I've always heard about the weather out there. I think it's Eddie Azard who does the stand-up bit where he talks about it's like the same temperature, but you have like this ridiculous fog that just comes out of nowhere and it chases you down the street. Pretty much. It's misting and sometimes the fog's so thick, it looks like it's raining and it's just the fog coming through. It's that coastal breeze. I have to ask then, how much do people really hate the area being called San Fran? (laughs) I'm not sure. Yeah. the, The special he did was in San Francisco and like he said, he's like, yeah, don't call it San Fran. And everybody, for some reason, the entire crowd goes, makes like this hissing sound. He's like, you all sound like you got a bag full of snakes in your hand. You're just a bunch of hissers. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's pretty windy up there. I'm I'm not a fan of San Francisco. I definitely like Southern California. So let's talk about about NACB and you. Let's let's talk about your background first. How did you get into this? Where did you start from? Oh, wow. Um, so great. That's a good question. Good way to kick it off. Um, so I had prior to working in the cannabis industry, I had been on polypharmacy. Uh, that's multiple medications for various ailments for arthritis, PTSD, depression, anxiety, the whole shebang of medicine cocktails. And um, when I was working in the emergency room and uh, UCSD in the hospital, I started seeing an increase in patients coming into the ER for various mental health issues, also on polypharmacy. And I wanted to realize that I, I saw that there was a potential for me to be going down that same route that they were if I didn't change what I was going through uh, holistically. So I started using cannabis to help taper myself off them. Um, And the biggest challenge was the withdrawal from the medications. And once I was able to taper myself off after about three, three years, that's when I decided to throw my towel in and working in the hospitals and said, you know what, there's something in this, there's medicine here. And I can't be a hypocrite and tell patients to take their medicine and then go home and me not take mine and, and use cannabis. And so that really began a shift in my mental thought process of where I wanted to be in my life career wise and what I was passionate about, because it's clearly helped me and I have a, have a knack to help patients and help other people. So how can I get to be, get there? And so I look for an internship to be a uh, cultivator and found an internship for about six months and learned how to cultivate. Once I learned how to cultivate, I was realized that taking care of the plant 
was just like taking care of patients. They get sick. If you don't check on them is, you know, daily or quite a few times throughout the day, they could die um, or, you know, just get unhealthy. So I found that caring for the plant just felt the same as caring for patients. And so it was my transition into really getting into the industry. What led you to getting to NACB? I, I neglected to say your title earlier. You're the chief operating officer, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, so I took a couple jobs after uh, my internship as a cultivator, I worked in sales. I worked in manufacturing, uh, worked in just about every vertical and realized one thing was missing in this industry. And that was standardization. I was like, I worked here in cultivation. This was one way we're operating, worked in retail. Here's another way we're operating. Manufacturing was something different. It just didn't seem consistent. Um, So I realized that I wanted to take a, a position with a company that was looking to change that in the industry and didn't really realize it existed. Um, And after me really being fed up with the industry overall and how it was operating, I actually was like, I'm, I'm done with this industry. I'm, I'm over it. Lack of standards. There's just, it's just too immature. Everybody's still crawling and barely out of their diapers. It felt like, uh, so (laughs) that's the way that it felt. Um, And I mean, people weren't even paying accounts and stuff as well and getting away with it. So for me, it was untrustworthy, no standards, unethical. Uh, So I actually applied to go work uh, back in the hospital. And a couple of days before I was supposed to work, go back to the hospital, I fell and broke my knee and was in a full leg cast for six months. And they're like, you have to have a job, you know, that's at home. And so I need to look for remote work. And that's what brought me back into the industry. So a friend said, hey, you put on events. I introduced you to some people at a few of your events. They're interested in some remote work doing data entry. And I was like, I really don't want to do data entry, but it's a job that I can do from home right now. (laughs) Uh, You know, and and I'll figure it out. I know with my skill sets, I know with my work ethic that it wouldn't be long before I went from data entry to, uh, I went, moved on, moved up to sales, started doing sales, um, then became director of business development, uh, helping to grow the organization. We had about a little over a hundred members when I was first brought on. Um, and within about two years, we now are up to 750 members. So with that accomplishment of bringing that many members to our organization, they felt that, you know, promoting me and advancing me would be a wise option. I know our members, I know what we do, uh, and I know how to operationally think how to navigate the different territories of what our organization does as a whole. That's very elaborate. And I'm something that popped into my mind is you were, you were speaking of that, that apparently I guess it's, it's very common in that industry is that I was reading recently wage theft is one of the most common business crimes that's committed, but it's not a criminal offense like anywhere. And you were mentioning like people not paying accounts. And I'm like, I imagine that there's employers who are in the cannabis industry that are skimming off their employees checks. And there's not, man, there's not much those employees can do because who's going to go running and screaming in court about the cannabis business? Yep. Uh, it wasn't actually wage theft. It was a license, a very large licensed operator who didn't pay almost quarter million dollars to our, wow. to Ooh. our, yeah, to our manufacturer. So we, I don't want to say the name of, of the group or anything on the record, um, but that 
order placed a large sale order for quarter million dollars. We fulfilled that order, but in order to fulfill that order as a small business and a new manufacturer, we had to buy manufacturing equipment, hire staff. We had to increase our operations to fulfill that order. And most people, small operators aren't going to turn down that kind of order. Um, They need that business. They need that revenue. So we fulfilled that order Um, And it took about 10 months, but in that 10 months, we had got kicked out of our manufacturing facility because we weren't able to pay who we were manufacturing with. Um, So they're like, if you can't pay us, you got to go. So I had lost my job from that. So it was, uh, it was sad, but you know, I wasn't the only one that happened to us is, you know, it's, it's publicly known out there uh, about the company who, who has done this and they're continuing to grow somehow. <laughs> yeah, there was, I think Austin knows about it. There was a, a business similar. I think it's out of Colorado that came into Texas and pretty much did that. They were making orders and it was very high amounts of money. And then they just bounced. They, they didn't provide, just ran off. And then the, the employees that were responsible Nobody can find them anymore. Nobody can get a hold of them. Nobody knows where they went. I went to their facility in LA and knocked on their door, like literally asking them to pay. Went and they just kept passing me off to someone else, passing me off to someone else, passing me off, and then blaming me, you know, for not <laughs> for not following up with them properly. <laughs> right, not resolving the issue. This is unimaginable. Uh, it just sounds like your story is very serendipitous and almost like destiny that you are where you are. And it's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how I feel. Thank you. It's um, it's, it's been, uh, I am destined definitely to be in the cannabis industry. Something is driving me here and keeps bringing me back, especially to the NACB. Uh, you know, it hasn't been an easy road for us uh, to get going, but we, we definitely are there and moving forward. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about NACB, like as an organization, like what the basics, if I, if I was just clicking on the website for the first time, what, you know, what would I find out? Yeah. Uh, So the NACB, we, about four or five years ago, we realized that there was no standards in the industry. We saw that need. And what we've seen from other industries that self-regulatory organizations and self-regulatory models actually do work. Um, and especially going through a prohibitionist time as I like to see what we're going through right now. Uh, we saw that need and we wanted to fulfill that need. So how can we do that? Well, let's take the voices of the industry. Let's see what the industry wants as regulations. Let's Put, put them together and take a consensus and create national standards around what regulation and policy should look like. Um, and one thing that makes our association, I like to call us the industry unicorns, is that prior to admitting anyone into our organization, we everyone goes through a 28-point vetting process, checking their background for tax evasion, fraud, poor business practices, making sure they're in good standing with the state, making sure they don't have major crimes, not cannabis-related crimes. Uh, Cannabis-related crimes are are A-OK, but everything else. Because one thing we also saw was the industry isn't trusted. It's emerging. It's becoming business. Businesses are coming about. And so how can we protect the businesses? How can we have resources available that you know are credible? Because as as we keep emerging and we keep growing as an industry, p- 
people are coming on from other industries, but they literally don't know where to start for resources, whether it's an ancillary service, whether they're looking for licensing services, no matter what they are looking for, how do you find what's actually trusted? Um, so we have a fully vetted organization of a little over 750 members. Um, and then we ha- also have our national standards that we ad- have adopted. We currently have nine national standards, uh, five in the works. And then we also have a full social equity model. That social equity model we are driving to the states to implement into their policy because clearly no one social equity program is actually working. Uh, so that's one of our that's one of our projects we've been working on the past couple of years is making sure social equity, the, the framework is there. We've created it for them. So now it's just getting the policymakers to actually implement it. So that's a little bit about us. And I'm glad that y'all do do it the way y'all are doing it when you say all of those things together, because there is there does become a conflict at one point where you have the interest of businesses and what they want is regulation and then what consumers need for regulation. And we're seeing, being as we're in Texas, we're right there next to Oklahoma, we're seeing that battle kind of play out because they allow pretty much people to smoke wherever they want and they technically can have home grow. And there's businesses that are, they're not happy with that. They want to take away the home grow because they're like, well, no, we want you to have to come into our business and buy from us. And Austin, you were, I think you were saying last week, there's how many, like what, 9,000, 9,000 businesses out in Oklahoma? Businesses that are cannabis related. Yes. It's, it's incredible what's going that the, I can't believe that that market isn't already oversaturated. I think that we're starting to see that with some of the regulations that are coming and they're finally having, they're implementing a, a real seed to sale uh, structure and uh, the shoring up the supply chain and unfortunately what that means is that you're starting to see a lot of these small mom and pop shops mixed in there a lot of people who are really inexperienced and didn't know what they were doing from a business standpoint sure they knew how to grow cannabis but from a business standpoint they didn't know what they were doing and you're starting to see real business ethics starting to take over in Oklahoma which is encouraging sign and it's just sad to see kind of some of the paradigm shifts that are happening in each market and uh, I'm sure Ashley can understand that. Absolutely. We're going to go into we're going to go into a quick sponsor break here. The Lone Star Collective, episode number nine. I'm your host Jesse Williams. Our guest Ashley Manning of the NACB. We'll be right back. Collective and Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flower pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta 8, and merch. For more information on their products quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. You know it would be cool if your business was mentioned on a podcast several times an episode. Well, you could have a slot right here on the Lone Star Collective just like the one I'm doing right now. Show your community that your business supports changes to social welfare regarding cannabis in Texas. Inform our audience that you are a supporter of independent journalism and the activism work we put in while informing them about your business. Let your customers know where you are located and what you offer the community. For more information on getting your business mentioned on Lone Star Collective, visit TexasCanaco.com. That's T-X-Canaco.com. And click the contact tab. 
Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective podcast, episode number nine. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. Joining me, co-host Austin Zamhariri with our guest, Ashley Manning. How are y'all doing? Fantastic. Blessed, man. This is this has already been a fantastic interview. Thank you for being here, Ashley. Uh, thank you for having me. And we, we very much appreciate you giving this time because I say that because we had to we had to work this out, really. It's like one of the first times I've really had to kind of like, OK, I got to juggle a schedule for once with how I set this up. You were doing public hearings in Vermont and you're like, well, we're doing this much all day Monday, all day Tuesday. It's almost all day Thursday. I don't have time afterwards. And I'm like, I kind of get the time afterwards thing. It's speaking to attorneys when they go to cases. It's a lot of like you said, you got to get your notes together and you got to debrief each other. Elaborate more on these public hearings. <laughs> well, uh, the NACB was fortunate enough to, we are assisting with writing the adult use regulations for the state of Vermont. And we are also assisting with revising their medical program as well. So we have public hearings throughout the week, public comments, op- everything's open to the public. So that is where we're spending most of our time right now. You were telling us before we started, we started go- getting the podcast going about some of the attitude that's being presented there with this. And it's not what we're typically used to hearing in a state. (laughs) Yeah, uh, some of it I probably, you know, I don't want to go on the record with just just because uh, we definitely have to be very mindful of what we do talk about. Um, But it's definitely uh, a Bernie Sanders state supportive. Uh, The NACB stays politically agnostic. Um, You know, we... We definitely are pushing for stronger regulations, but in smaller states that have craft farmers, craft growers, you know, that is something that we have to be very mindful of because those small businesses. So sometimes, you know, implementing very tight regulations for small operators isn't actually achievable. I don't know if either of you have been to Vermont, but when I have, you know, visiting a gift shop or a cheese farm or, you know, you you go to these businesses, they're, they're micro businesses in essence. And you go there and it's usually a house on a property. The property has another home. That's their business. And so, you know, if we're implementing these tremendous strict regulations, it just may not be achievable for these small operators. They have to make profits as well. And so we got to be very mindful. It's a, it's definitely a juggling act. There's there's only 600,000 people in the entire state. So, you know, that's a there's not a lot of people. <laughs> uh, so we have to make sure we're giving them what they want, what but also what they need because they, you know, we, we don't want to see any anyone fall victim to uh, any potential harm to their business. I never pay attention to the fact that the state has 600,000 people and just that, like my neighborhood in Austin alone has 15,000 people. 
I'm like, there's more people in Austin, <laughs> Texas than there are all of Vermont. I started, yeah, I started laughing myself because Fort Worth has 900,000 itself. And so it's, it's just kind of funny to think, you know, here in Texas, I guess the motto is everything is bigger. Right. And it, it certainly is to think that like, you know, it just sounds like Vermont is so rural, like rural parts of Texas. Yes, it, it is. And that that's one thing that they're emphasizing is, you know, this is a rural state, so they don't have the, the typical crimes and, and such that you see in the non-rural areas. Um, but I, you know, Vermont just they're they're taking a very unique approach to the way they're doing it and my fingers are crossed that once everything gets to the legislature that they see what we're proposing and actually approve everything that we're recommending um one thing that is unique is the craft to consumer market they are potentially will be having that farm to table aspect uh, which is very unique think of going to a winery and having the wine tasting well go to a cannabis farm be able to you know smoke the cannabis or taste the cannabis before you buy it um, which is very very unique and i would love to see that because that's you know a tourist opportunity as well and with only having 600,000 people in the entire state you know you're going to have to drive more revenue than that 600 you know those 600,000 people in order to have a successful cannabis industry in the state cuz it's still expensive regardless of of how small it is there's still lots of costs associated with making it a a, a safe regulated space and we we can definitely relate to the idea you mentioned of expenses where you don't want to cut people out because right now in Texas our medical program alone it's just like I think it's like three hundred eighty thousand dollars a year to renew a license, and it's like four hundred something thousand just to apply. You must have I think it's like a million dollars in liquid assets that you're just not going to touch. You've got to provide a business plan that shows that you will survive for two years on losses, which the average it's been reported the average business like that takes out loans doesn't last two years. So they're wow. like, oh no, you got to have two years worth of funds to just get you through this. Yeah, I mean, Texas. Go ahead, Ashley. No, go ahead, Austin. I was going to say Texas is very, very conservative, and um, you know they they weren't going to let anybody just walk in here, and they weren't going to let this become California or any other state. Uh, the way that this bill was written out, and it was it was strategically written out. Um, to, to really just take this as a, a this small, tiny little approach towards the idea that marijuana actually is medicine. Uh, and as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, marijuana is still a schedule one substance and the entirety of the Texas program, you may, you may not know Texas program specifically, but you know, these medical marijuana programs in general or legalization programs, um, and rules state by state are still federally illegal. Absolutely. hundred percent. Correct. Part of the problem. I've referred to our approach here in Texas as I've been calling it the, the Virginia plan because it seems to mirror what Virginia did where they were like, we'll start a medical program. We'll start off really small, small percentages. Then we'll go to 1%. Then we'll go to 5%. And then, oh man, well, what have we done? We just need to move forward. Ha ha. And Texas will have that happen when everything likely goes federal. And they'll, that's when they'll do the aha uh-huh moment and go, see, we really, we really like this plan. We really like doing this. Like we did hemp. Everybody was like, oh man, we're not going to do this hemp thing. But the moment the federal law changed, Texas is like, 
we got to be number one. We're bigger. We're better. We're better. Yeah, you better believe it. I love it. Acted, <laughs> like, we, acted like we were. They acted like none of this, like last ten years, had ever happened when we when hemp became a thing. They were probably already growing it anyhow. And it's it's strange trying to explain to some of the legislators that it's like a lot of these got people who are growing hemp, even your basic farmers that aren't growing hemp yet, they they want to see marijuana legal. And we did polls here like during the like towards the end of last year for the pandemic. And it was let's legalize this and tax it specifically to fund schools. And we had at least more than 50 percent. We had like right at 50 percent on the conservative side. And I think it was like 75 to 80 percent on the liberal side. So we finally had a majority in Texas. It was like, we want to see this done. What's the problem? Well, then it, it didn't take like, I think like a week and our governor came out and said, ha, 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 we're not, you're not going to see hardly any movement in that field. So let's not really talk about that. Right. COVID, uh, you know, riots. Uh, we, you know what? A funny thing for us, not funny thing, is actually quite tragic and very scary. But, um, you know, first day of our legislative session back in Jan- January uh, 13th, was it? Uh, 12th or 13th. And when we showed up to the Capitol on the first day, it was it was like the entire, you know, military was there to protect the Capitol against any kind of insurrection that might come down. And here we are, we're just advocates for cannabis reform. We've been doing this, you know, session after session. And to see just, you know, it was it was a little disheartening because of the idea that between COVID and this this uh, whole unstable uh, social unrest that has been permeating over the last year of our country, that cannabis was definitely going to take probably a backseat to a lot of things here in Texas. Is, is, do you think that maybe that's like a very similar across the country in your experience? Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, but still five states came on board during the pandemic. So uh, still definitely making progress. <laughs> Yeah, uh, cannabis just always wins. <laughs> I mean, the the jobs, the job creations, you know, just that alone should be a selling point for people to legalize. It's funny how Austin says it, because I, I think back and all I can think of is I'm like, yes, the way the Department of Public Safety showed its officers up, it looked like the troopers out of that system of a down BYOB music video were like marching out of the video and into our capital. And we had points it where... Was- you can literally they were they were they were in lines. They were everywhere. We listen, we I would say that me and Jesse and I would argue are some of the top activists in the state uh, in terms of showing up to the Capitol and passing out material and meeting legislators and talking to offices about this issue. And we've probably been in that building inside of that building hundreds of times to <laughs> there were crevices and in, in crannies of the Capitol that, you know, I didn't think really people uh, other people knew about they were there everywhere and every time we turned around the corner it was like stormtroopers you know coming out of nowhere it was crazy wow uh, can't cannabis people do not behave in that manner <laughs> <laughs> they really don't they, like, <laughs> we were they they loved us we oh were, yeah they, we were not the people they were concerned about <laughs> yeah they saw i had made official press passes like nice press passes for Austin and I, and when we showed up and they saw those passes, they're like, oh, the cannabis people are here. We don't have to worry about you guys. You guys are cool. Okay, good. <laughs> <All> <laughs> right. you are. Yeah, GPS. 
DPS loved us. So we were, they were more than happy. As long as we passed our COVID test, we were able to get inside the building, which was uh, from a historical standpoint, something that I'll, I will be able to share forever. Um, so uh, real quick, I wanted to commend you on your, on the work that you guys are doing in Vermont uh, and, and why that is u- unique specifically for Texas is because Vermont passed their legalization laws through the legislature, unlike most other states, which did it through some kind of uh, voter ballot initiative or state referendum of some kind, correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, Which is fantastic for us because that is the only way that we can change our laws in Texas. And so um, it's very encouraging to to see uh, Vermont from a very, very, I think, micro model uh, from a Texas standpoint. Uh, and be able to utilize that uh, and how we're able to possibly do something like that in the Lone Star State. Because uh, if it can be done, I feel like in a place like Vermont, which from what I've gathered so far, sounds a lot like Texas. (laughs) I think that that could happen here, too. And I feel like an organization like yours, uh, NACB, is definitely going to be on the forefront of handling that transition uh, to a place like Texas. Absolutely. Yeah. We are, our goal is to keep moving forward. We we're such a small team, you know, we would love to tackle on all the states that are ready to come on board, but the goal would be to keep moving forward with all the, all the states who haven't yet moved forward and show them what we've done and show them what we can do and create that standardization. Cause we know that it doesn't exist. And that's what our organization, why we're here. We're going to go into a quick sponsor break here at Lone Star Collective Podcast, episode number nine. I'm your host, Jesse Williams of the co-host Austin Zamoheri. Our guest, Ashley Manning of NACB. We will be right back after this. Oakleaf Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oakleaf focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flower pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta 8, and merch. For more information on their products, quality, or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. You know it would be cool if your business was mentioned on a podcast several times an episode. Well, you could have a slot right here on the Lone Star Collective just like the one I'm doing right now. Show your community that your business supports changes to social welfare regarding cannabis in Texas. Inform our audience that you are a supporter of independent journalism and the activism work we put in while informing them about your business. Let your customers know where you are located and what you offer the community. For more information on getting your business mentioned on Lone Star Collective, visit TexasCanaco.com. That's TXCanaco.com and click the contact tab. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri.
Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, episode number nine. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, with co-host Austin Zam Hariri here at the Texas Cannabis Collective. Our guest this episode is Ashley Manning, who's the COO of NACB, the National Association of Cannabis Businesses. So let's jump right back into it. It's your sales pitch time, Ashley. It's it's the it's the going game. What's the benefit of being part of the NACB? I love that. That's funny. <laughs> Well, I wish there was a sales pitch, but truthfully, there's not, Um, but there is, Um, you know, the quickest way for me to get to it is all the the things that the NACB is doing, creating national standards. We've developed a social equity model that we're pushing to state legislators. We host three events, virtual events a month that are educational covering banking, uh, covering the medical side of the industry and hot topics around the cannabis industry. We do in-person symposiums. We offer free certificate courses for our members through Greenflower Media. Shout out for them. Um, We have a full membership directory, online B2B portal. We also have uh, various benefits for our members to get exposure to our members, Uh, membership spotlights, highlights through emails, social media. Um, You have access to me all the time. You have voting rights on our national standards. You can also participate on helping develop these national standards. It's not required. Required, but we encourage that participation if you are considered a subject matter expert. Um, well, all of what we do costs money. <laughs> so what we do needs to have revenue and in support of members. Without our members, we can't exist as an organization. So we want operators to focus on operating their business. Let us take the lane of driving the industry forward and leading the industry. And so you can continue to operate and so we can keep moving forward in standardization, which is sorely lacking in the industry overall. So in order to do that, we need membership dues. So that's, you know, really the, the quick, the quick, quick pitch, but it's not a pitch. It really is, you know, this is what we're doing and can't do it without our members. Members. Uh, we're hosting a social work. All of our events are free for our members. Um, and then also uh, in December, we are hosting a social justice conference. Uh, we exhibit at a lot of events, which also cost time travel. We have a lobbyist on staff that also costs money as well. So our sales pitch is have a vetted B2B network to go to and participate in driving the industry forward. Let us do what we need to do, but we also you know, need the money to do that. <laughs> you mentioned about events that you have, and there's events that I know I attend that y'all hold online. You have these monthly Zoom call meetings, such as Blazer to Blazers. Can you elaborate on some of those, those events? Because I, I really enjoy those. Yes. Uh, Blazers and Blazers is my favorite one. Um, you know, we have saw that there is a separation between the Blazers of the cannabis industry, meaning smoking Blazers and the Blazers who wear Blazers of the banking and financial services industry. There's a lack in communication. There's a lack in understanding each other's lingo. So we wanted to try to figure out a way how we can bring the two together how can we bring the blazers with the blazers? So hosting an event every month, bringing in experts from the cannabis industry, experts from financial services to talk about whatever hot topic may be going on in the industry related to financial services. So we can kind of get hash it out, like what what's going on between the two and get on the same page. 
Um, we're currently drafting cash management standards and payment processing standards as well. So we're, we have gotten some momentum from Blazers and Blazers and, and those who want to participate in driving cash management and payment processing forward because there's a lot of uh, payment processing solutions out there that aren't actually legal payment processing solutions we have found. So, but first thing is, allowing the cannabis industry to understand how to speak bankers and how bankers to speak cannabis industry. So that's one of, one of my favorite events because our host, Jeffrey, he's hilarious. He's a magician and he plays the role. He's a lawyer. And so he plays the role very well. He even starts out, you know, coming on and taking a hit. Well, he doesn't actually take a bong grip, but he pretends he's taking a bong grip and, you know, but then he puts on his lawyer hat and is able to have that conversation with, with the banking industry as well. It's always fun. Did you say he's a magician? Uh, a musician. Okay, I, was about to say, I, was like, I know he, I was like, I know he's a musician, but wow. I was like, man, this guy's got talent. He's a lawyer. He's a magician, a musician. My <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Then we have uh, the Cannabis Clinicians Lounge, which we cover the various uh, medical components to cannabis, whether it be with Alzheimer's, pain, sleep, uh, sexual health. We try to cover, bring experts on to talk about other medical doctor experts to talk about it. Um, It's very rare to have a medical doctor who's actively a medical doctor speaking about cannabis and supporting it. So uh, big kudos to Dr. Mary Clifton who hosts that for us. Y'all have happy hour the last Thursday every month, correct? Yes. Uh, happy hours. Usually uh, last Thursday, we typically will find a hot topic in the industry to talk about, whether it be delivery, the more act, the safe act. Well, that's more blazers and blazers, but um whatever the topic might be. And then we bring in our industry experts to talk about it or it's hosted by myself this month. We, um, a big conference that happens in the cannabis industry is MJ BizCon, And it is a massive conference. There's over 40,000 people who show up, um, thousands of vendors and navigating the events that are taking place during MJ BizCon, the after parties, the networking events, it's chaos almost it's you need someone to give you an itinerary when you go to mj bizcon <laughs> so so we hosted a happy hour to dis our last one was to discuss what to do where to go and just everything about mj biz to hopefully get some insights for people so they know what to do we're supposed to have a writer who's getting a press pass and he's going to go one day and our question now for you about mj bizcon is which day do you recommend that our writer attend what do you think he would ah. get the most out of? Does he have the full conference pass or the expo only pass? He has a, a, a complete press pass. Oh, perfect. Um, well, I'm going to throw in Associations Day, which is October 19th. Um, uh, and from one to five is actually Associations Day. And they ha- they set aside a specific part of the expo for associations. And I feel that, you know, associations get... Uh, I kind of feel like we, we get a little bit of a backseat. People forget about us there, you know, especially at an expo. Um, so it's a great opportunity to see what other associations, what they're doing, get to know them because um, they really are at the forefront of this industry. And if he's a writer, that's the information that he wants. You know, he's not going to want to walk the show floors and talk. I mean, if he wants to talk about the new innovative products that are out there, new technology, then totally walk the floor. 
definitely needs to sit in on some of, look at the agenda in the sessions, pick out a couple of sessions that might be a, a hot topic to write about. Um, maybe financial services would be one of them to attend, pick out two or three, but definitely attend Associations Day on October 19th because all the associations are at the forefront of this industry and driving it forward. So we are oh, yeah. people, people to talk to. Well, I'm glad that you'll hold, let's say, you'll hold some of these events on the, like these Zoom call meetings you have because I, I've learned a lot and I've met very unique and interesting people who have knowledge. Like It's like a puzzle piece where it's like I have these certain pieces that I know and then you start laying it all together and connecting it with the stuff you don't have that other people do. And I've sometimes I try to pose questions in the meetings that way other people can understand something that we possibly all don't know yet. And it was something like I learned this year was that we were doing action network emails. Some people, hey, you go in, put in your address. It'll give you your representative. There's a pre-typed letter. And then I started finding out apparently uh, there's a good chunk of offices like on the state level that are in just they just ignore these emails. They have spam filter just to filter it out. And was told you should call. Always call because they'll log the call and they'll write this down. So I posed it as a question during the lobbying event and the guys were like, yeah, the, the action network thing, that, that's spam. To them, that's just spam. That's sad, you know, that these are the people, these are the voices. They need to be listening. But on the other hand, there's COVID and everything else that they're worrying, to, worrying about right now. <laughs> <laughs> I get to an extent where it kind of comes from as to treating it that way, because I remember when this became a thing where you go to a website and have this done, it was you, you typed up a letter and they were faxing. They were sending faxes to these offices and it just... Uh, we were finding out that like offices were having to turn the fax machine off because it was just running the fax machine dry. It was oh, running wow. the ink dry. They couldn't get anything, any other paperwork through. So I understand there's, there's got to be a point where they go, we're just being bombarded with True. all of these papers and we can't, we can't sift through anything else either. But you would think that would also be a sign of, well, maybe if you actually change this law, they'd stop bothering you. <laughs> That's so funny because it's so true. Real quick, Jesse, I want to pivot off that. And, you know, we, we're in Texas, so we often focus on things that are happening uh, locally and how people can change laws here in Texas. Uh, but from a national perspective, how drastically and I'm, from what I've been told, it's pretty drastic. But in your opinion, how drastically would the cannabis space look once something like the Safe Banking Act or similar legislation gets passed? Oof. Uh, that's a tough question. Um, I, it makes me very nervous, uh, just based off of what I've seen in the industry, the lack of standards that there are. I don't, then this is my personal opinion. This is not an NACB opinion. NACB stays very agnostic to this. Um, I don't personally feel that the industry is ready for it. Um, I feel that they're going to, there are going to, there's going to be imposed regulations that aren't actually sustainable for many of the current operators based off current regulations that are in place. Um, and that's quite scary. I want this industry to be successful. I want this industry to, to be sustainable. Um, and I don't think a lot of these operators are ready. They, they need to learn how to speak to the banks as well. And if they, you know, if only the large MSOs and medium businesses know how to speak to the banks to get banking, you know, how the smaller operators who are just coming on board who, who may not have that business acumen, they have a lot of catching up to do. And I don't know how they would succeed 
and be sustainable if, if they were able to, if they were told they could move forward with banking. Oh, it's again, my personal opinion. Oh yeah. Cause it's going to be volatile for them banking wise. The first couple of years, like we're seeing with hemp in Texas because banks go, the rules could change at any moment. So we're not so sure we really want to bank on this item because we don't want to give you an account and you're doing X and other person does Z and it turns out the legislature says, well, we're not, we're not happy with X, but we're fine with Y and Z. And then the people who did X that were being banked with the banks like, well, we can't work with you. <laughs> you're technically an illegal operation now. So yeah, th- there's that big risk there. And, and that's why we have put, we're putting together drafting payment processing standards and cash management, because we want every operators to stay ahead of that curve. If we can help prepare them for that, because it is going to happen and you just don't know when. And so we want operators to be ready. And that is NACB's overall mission. Be ready. Go beyond what your state is requiring you to do, because regulations and policies always going to change. So right. you have to be ready for that. And, and that's really one piece that I continue to see with the NACB that will continue to make the industry a sustainable one. So as we start to wrap up, Ashley, I want you to fire off your website where people can get in touch and become a member of NACB. Yeah, it's www.nacb.com. Anything you recommend that they specifically look at on the website? Yeah, uh, I will say we are updating our website right now, um, but I would check out our social equity model and and do you can. There's a letters to send to your elected officials. Uh, again, probably phone phoning them is better, but not so much sending the letters. So uh, there's state comparison chart on there, but look into our social equity model because we'll be having a conference, a social justice conference in December. We appreciate you spending the time to be with us here this evening. Thank you for having me, Jesse and Austin. Yes, I say your time is very much valued. I mean, you're you're the COO of NACB. So we thank you, Ashley. This is episode number nine of the Lone Star Collective. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, co-host Austin Zamhariri. Our guest this evening was Ashley Manning, the COO of NACB, the National Association of Cannabis Businesses. We wish you all a great week and great weekend. Adios. Adios.